This is the Dave and Shecky Show. We got this groovy podcast for ya. Reviewing crazy tunes or quoting Twain and Sting and Doom. We'll bring ideas to share like bonus points for extra flair. Cause it's the freaking Dave and Shecky Show. Show. We're bringing you this groovy review. We might preview movies, bake some bread, or drink some smoothies. So come on, have way too much caffeine. You roll up some rivers, I'll reference some Raffi. This is the Dave and Shecky Show. Hello. Hello. How you doing? Pie, you doing? What's happening? What's, uh, what? I'm the guy who puts pee in front of everything. <laughs> is there such a thing as a guy like that? Probably. Oh. Hey, it worked then, didn't it? Oh, jeez, I stopped doing it. Oh, pe- 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 pe. I have to catch up. See, if I don't throw it, I catch up going. Pe- 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 pe. It's like a syndrome. Oh, yeah. Pe- 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 pe. So let me just say, pe- 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 pe, and then I can stop doing it. Well, thank you for that. Uh, welcome, 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 everyone, to episode number 70. 68. Episode number 68 of the Middle-Aged Cool Kids Super Terrific Podcast Featuring your pals Louis Roses And Julia Childs What's the first one? Child? How many children are there? Childs or child? I think it's Julia Child Because if it was child, wouldn't it just be children? I don't know what it is. Now hey, I'm Julia Children. Now you've got, and that's like a Sally Field, Sally Fields thing. Um, what was the other one? Louis Roses. Who's Louis Roses? That's what I want to know. Who the hell is this Louis Roses? Did you make that name up? Everybody knows his Louis Roses. You know, you grow up in the neighborhood, a guy down the block. That's Louis Roses. Louis Roses. Yeah, he's he's single, I divorced. See. He's got a ball cap. Sometimes he goes out with his dog. Louis Roses. What, does he have a nice rose uh, bush or something in the yard that he uh, attends to? don't call her that. What? What? Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's a a Vietnam vet. Everyone knows Louis Roses. Oh, well, God bless you, Louis Roses. Thank uh, you for your service. He had some problems back in the day. Mm -hmm. The only thing that could alleviate it was funk. Well, there you go. Funk is the best medicine. And why did you bring up Julia Childs? Because she was an odd one. <laughs> she was kind of maybe the funkiest English woman ever. Oh, funky? Yeah, she's funky. Why do you say that? I don't know. I see. Maybe I'm just thinking of the SNL skit where the hand starts bleeding. I see. Is that Dan Aykroyd, perhaps? Uh, I don't. I don't quite remember. Uh, the chef is cooking, and all of a sudden they're cutting themselves, and the blood is spurting everywhere. Oh, okay. It's quite graphic. I like this is what I like to do. This is my new thing. Uh-huh. We start off a show, uh-huh. and then I refer to an SNL skit. Yeah, you've been doing that for a couple of weeks now. All right, good. Just want to make sure that pattern comp- is uh, is repeating. Okay. Well, you've done it. You've done it again. Uh, anyway, today's uh, 
episode is not about Julia Child or children or children or Louis Rose, but he sounds like a heck of hey, a guy. And Louis perhaps, Rose is uh, we can dedicate. Was behind the scenes. I see. Well, maybe he'll get his own uh, episode soon. He seems very interested. Uh, anyway, our episode today, as we are nearing the end of February and the end of Black History Month, our episode today is each of our top five favorite black musical artists, bands yeah. or... Yeah, or that's easy to do. Bands or uh, individuals... Uh, we, it's just black musical artists. Uh, why are you saying that's easy to do? Well, because... Because just five isn't <clears throat> enough? <clears throat> hey, what am I, Dick Van Patten? I don't know what that means. Eight isn't enough, I all see. right? Right, and, but... And not only that, ten isn't enough. I understand. I would like to name this series about this guy who had 20 wives and 50 children because a hundred isn't enough. I see. Oh, and... and a favorite black artist uh-huh. is almost redundant because most of mine are black. Okay, that's fine, Dave. I just want to say that I limited it to five because of just what? otherwise the show will become a two and a half hour spectacular. This show needs to be about a month long at this point. Well, that's why I limited it to five. I don't know how I can bring this down. Let me just look at my notes here for a second. You don't have notes. That's my piece of paper. No. Ooh, that sounds good. Uh-huh. Is that MSMR? What's this called? LSD? Uh-huh. 25? Is that what the kids like today? Would you? Okay. You whisper quietly about acid. Would, okay. Uh, what's that called? ASMR LSD. Uh-huh. LSD AMSR. What is it? Would you Asthma like... Asthma related syndrome. Mm-hmm. Are you ready? Would you like to go first? You seem you're like well, you are uh, more than you ready. You say five. I, I said five, and I mean five. But as you can see... My paper here has much more than five. Dave, there's 30 people on that paper. That paper is what Bla- what Frank Zappa would refer to as the black page. Uh-huh, that's there's not, so much that's writing on it. The note, it's more black than white. All right. Well, I'm glad that you prepared this week. I think that is a uh, podcast first. No, I've prepared in the past. You have? Yes. And I found that it was the most boring podcast in the world on my part. That's why I don't prepare. I see. All right. Well, I'm so off the cuff. I'm not even wearing a cuff. Uh-huh. I don't even have a shirt on. Okay. He does have a shirt on. Everyone. Oh. He's fibbing. All I don't right. have any pants on. Now, that's true. Dave. What? From that, that is true. From that list, I would like you to pick five. All right. Well, let me just tell you. Well, let, okay. Here's the thing. Okay. Why? Now, there is a certain thing that I've noticed in this funk list. Okay, it's then we can look at yours in a second. It's not a list of funk. Oh well, what do you think? Black people are going to play church music? Yes, but not yes, that I kind do, of church. Yes, I do actually. Not that kind of church music. Okay. You don't think they're the four freshmen, do you? So you're saying that your top five black artists of all time are five funk artists? Yes. No, I'm not saying that. I see. I'm just saying the majority. Well, this is the thing. Okay, what's the thing? The majority of these artists. Uh huh. Seem to have been influenced by Parliament Funkadelic. Okay, well that's now very, this oh. may or may not be true. It uh-huh. could be just a co-alignment of the stars, and uh-huh. that was what's happening. I see. But I don't know. And uh, also, yes, funk music was one thing. Uh huh. And then 
Parliament started doing nursery rhyme funk. Uh-huh. And then everyone else started doing nursery rhyme funk. Like Dice Clay? No. I see. And then, uh, so before, before <laughs> nursery rhyme funk, uh-huh. you had just music mm. that was kind of like Sly Stone meets James Brown influenced. Right. But then everyone started imitating Parliament. I see. But not just Parliament early, because there was early Parliament, but right. they, it, they started imitating Nursery Rhyme Parliament. Okay. And I will illustrate this in my list. So, but the thing is, uh-huh. we could have several different things going on here because I found many bands that have the nursery rhyme funk, and then I have rare funk bands that probably most people haven't even heard of, uh-huh. and then I have jazz guys influenced by P-Funk who then be playing some serious funk. All right, Dave. I think you have mistaken this episode of the top five black music artists of all time list to be your top 30 nursery rhyme funk list. But when you talk about black music, not what the show you got to acknowledge today. nursery rhyme funk. Okay. Oh, which also nursery rhyme funk is the beginning of gangster rap all right I'll, oh, I'll, oh but now let me so let me give me my number one no no we're oh, doing five snap. four three two let me one. give me my number five please do oh give me just a second here oh you for can, fuck's sake cut this part out Hold i'm on not cutting this part out let's see now uh-huh oh geez you need a we... pen no that'll make it more complicated mm. oh how about and then there was this extra band. Five, five plus this one band. The extra band comes at the very end if there's time. All right. So, number five. Uh-huh. God damn, man. There's so many. Uh, well, I'm going to have to... Oh. <laughs> so stupid. Oh, man. How are you going to do such a thing? All right. Number five. Uh-huh. Dave, do you want to, let's just stop uh, right now. Let's stop for a moment. Uh, Would you prefer to do your top 10 and I don't mention my five? No, Is that better no, for you? No, no, no. Uh, I'm fine with that. I'm honestly fine with it. I, I see you're struggling. So. All right, let's just do number five. Okay. The Ohio Players. Ohio Players were an American funk, soul, and R&B band most popular in the 1970s. They are best known for their songs Fire and Love Roller Coaster, as well as for their erotic album covers that featured <laughs> nude or nearly nude women. Now, let me just tell you. Let me inject. Many of the women were models featured in Playboy. Michelle, yes. I'm now. What, what did you want to uh, inject? Now, as I told you last week, mm-hmm. I am fluent in the language of Ooga Booga. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but that is neither here nor there. I think it there. was Unga Bunga. Exactly. See? I'm so good at it, I forgot half of it. Okay. I'm forgetting things you have not learned yet. Exactly. That's what they say. Uh-huh. They are assholes. So tell me about uh, the Ohio players. Uh, well, what I was going to say was uh, mm-hmm. their uh, album covers and their music is... 
almost as important as P-Funk to the rap rap origins of the West Coast rap origins. If if I if I could be if I well I, that's what I think. Let me just the say. Ohio players were also a formative influence on the hip hop genre well, of G Funk during the late 1980s and early 1990s. I didn't read it. Their music was sampled more than 30 times by hip hop artists well, from that's 1987 a lot. More than that, Jim. to 1992, including G Funk pioneers Dr. Dre, Ice Cube, and Snoop Dogg. And oh, I really love that G Funk. What is G Funk? I don't know, but if I is that gangsta funk? If I, yeah. Oh, oh, G. It's nothing but a G thing, baby. If I could, uh, yes, capitalize on letters, I probably would have chosen G because people use G a lot. Okay. Check this one out, man. The Funky Worm. She's here, Mr. Johnson. Okay, thank you very much. Granny, they're expecting you. You're a little late, so come right this way. Stay right in. Okay? What? Say it now. Yes. Say it now. Yes. Funky Worm is a song by American funk group The Ohio <coughs> Players from their album Pleasure. It peaked at number one on the U.S. Billboard R&B charts in 1973 and also peaked at number 15 on the Billboard Hot 100. Billboard ranked it as the number 84 song for 1973. That's Fa- very funky. Fast forward to the, the synth part. And then you'll hear, you'll hear what Dr. Dre did on The Chronic. That's that's where they got that from. Well, there you go. And uh, that's so 1972. Now, don't get me wrong. P Funk was already prominent, and they were doing their thing. But mm-hmm. this seems to be evolving at the same time, and it's leading its way into that nursery rhyme funk. But what exactly do you? How would you describe nursery rhyme funk? All right, take a here, take a side listen to uh, Sir Knows Devoid of Funk. That will explain it all to you. Uh, this is the child. Let, let me put on my sunglasses so I can see what they ain't looking at. So you're saying a whole bunch of funk bands then did something similar to... To that? Yeah. Like I mean, with Goldilocks and uh, Snow White? Do- Dookie, Dookie Stick. Dookie Stick. Check out, you know, George Duke became into that. Uh, fucking, there's so many. I, I, I'm saying I could do a whole podcast just on that. Then you should have told me before. Well, uh, that's, we I just realized as I was looking into this stuff. I see. 
But you know, I'll keep coming back to this fact as I illustrate throughout my list. Oh, all right. Anyway. So number five. That was my number five. Now, I first heard uh, Ohio players when I was probably seven or eight years old. Uh, and the first thing I heard was this and Love Roller Coaster. Roller Coaster. Of course, the legend had it that a woman was electrocuted and shocked to death in the recording studio uh, during the recording of Love Roller Coaster. And uh, it could be heard on the recording because a slightly off mic woman is heard, you know, screaming along to the music or something. Mm -hmm. But it's complete urban legend. Of course. Yeah. And then, of course, they had the uh, erotic album covers that, yeah, very influential on the G-Funk thing for sure. And uh, I hate myself for saying G-Funk. I, I don't, I, uh, there are so many other reasons why G-Funk really shouldn't be. Hey, take it ish. I love myself. Okay. <laughs> What's I mean, your number five? My number five, I can tell how this is going to go already. Hey, what's your number five? You are going to shit on my list. I can tell No, I just already. like to see where you're coming from. My number five is Cool in the Gang. Holy cow. I got them down here somewhere. Get down, get down. 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 Gang is an American band formed in Jersey City, New Jersey in 1964 by brothers Robert Cool Bell and Ronald Bell. 1964. With Dennis D.T. Thomas, Robert Spike Mickens, Charles Smith, George Brown, and Ricky West. Now what about Prince Rakeem? That guy was great. Uh, it's, I think it was Prince Hakeem. Uh, hey, if you need a tissue, just let me know. The band's first taste of success came with their fourth album, Wild and Peaceful, in 1973, uh, which contained the U.S. top ten singles Jungle Boogie and Hollywood Swingin'. Holy, holy cow. Cool and the Gang subsequently entered a period of decline before they reached a second commercial peak between 79 and 86. Their most successful albums of this period include Ladies Night, Celebrate, and Emergency, their highest-selling album with 2 million copies sold in the U.S., and the hit singles Ladies' Night, the U.S. number one celebration, Get Down On It, Joanna, and Cherish. Yeah, see, Cool and the Gang started out cool, and then they became more just one of the gang. The band continues to perform worldwide, including as support for Van Halen in 2012, which is where I met the gentlemen that uh, were that current... uh, I guess the current lineup anyway. I don't know what, if they're still the same. And then they had their 50th anniversary tour in 2014. Um, they sound good. They sound great. They sound great. 
uh, and Robert Cool Bell and Ronald Bell are still members. I think that, uh, I mean, all of those songs I just mentioned were huge hits, played everywhere, and uh, I'm still happy to hear them. I, I love those songs, and I was lucky enough to see, I believe, 30 of the 40 shows on that Van Halen tour, and uh, you better believe I never missed a Cool in the Gang show. Cool in the Gang had better sound. They were amazing. They weren't so loud, so you could actually hear what they were playing. They were amazing, and then uh, Dave mentioned, uh, I think it's Prince Hakeem. Uh, he was one of, their, one of their grandsons or nephews or whatever, and he would come out, uh, not on every show, maybe, you know, 30% of the shows he would fly in and he would rap over some of their classic hits and it was it was very good get them up put them up HDKG light them up all the ladies got to go crazy all the fellas getting that crazy get them up keep them high once again this song cuz everything is live I'm live in the NYC, it's a 2G, Motel and HB, oh, give me some of that. Where the boogie at? Give me some of that. Where the boogie at? It's getting hot in here. Hey, it's getting hot in here. Hey, everybody get a cup, raise them up. We going through it like a defunct days is up. I know I'm gonna say, can't get enough for my latest set. Can't give it up cause the world stop, can't stop freaking. This how we do it every weekend. Got everybody creeping up in the club, looking for love, baby need to quiet us. They're great. They're great live. They're great live today. The songs still hold up. There's plenty of funk, plenty to sing along to. Um, I, I love it. I, I love them. Do you have any insight? Uh, they're not funk. Is that what you want to tell shush. me? No, I like their early stuff. Mm -hmm. This is what I think about them. Mm -hmm. They started out like I said, cool, but then they got smooth. Mm -hmm. So I like the early stuff. I like Jungle Boogie, mm -hmm. and I like that stuff on that first album. I think there's no. I, I like there's an album from 1969 that I really like. But their debut album is called Cool in the Gang from 1970. Uh, it must be the one then. I thought it was 69. Maybe it was recorded in 69. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that must have Jungle Boogie on it. And uh, what else is on it? It has Cool in the Gang, Breeze and Soul, Chocolate Buttermilk, Sea of Tranquility, Give It Up, Since I Lost My Baby, Cool's Back Again, The Gang's Back Again, and Raw Hamburger. No Jungle Boogie? No Jungle Boogie. When did that one come out? I will tell you. I never owned a Cool in the Gang album. Uh, Jungle Boogie was recorded by Cool in the Gang for their 1973 album, Wild and Peaceful. Interesting. It reached number four as a single and became very popular in nightclubs. Billboard ranked it as the number 12 song for 1974. Oh, yeah, that's what you said. Hollywood Swing is on the same album. Yep. Oh, okay. Now that, now that my memory is refreshed, Wild Bob Clear Mountain. Uh-huh was the uh, engineer on that session. That was one of his first sessions. Oh, he talked okay. about that in an interview that I saw recently. Oh, all right. Well, and, there you uh, go. Yep. He, uh, 
he said that the guy who was supposed to be there, who was another famous cat who I can't remember his name right this second, who was supposed to be engineering, it didn't make it, and uh, so he took over. Uh, he just did it because the guys were there waiting to record, and uh, he recorded it. That was one of his first ones. Excellent. And, of course, Bob Clearmountain is one of the best engineers ever. Yep. Anyway, uh, what happened with them, in my opinion, is they were really kind of more raw, and then I guess they got a formula going or someone told them or they figured it out and they started pumping out more like smooth now it's not disco but it's as close as funk can get to disco is what they started doing like it was almost like r&b funk yeah i guess you could call it r&b it's almost like i guess it's r&b but everything kind of falls in r yeah yeah, okay r&b but i think joanna and cherish are more r&b i mean that's so damn smooth i i I just as a kid uh, i couldn't dig it right well that you were uh, you were a funky child you know dashiki do that to you you're not a big fan of the ballads i was in a band my first band was called electric dashiki it was? No. Okay. But that would be good, right? No. We're, we're electric dashiki. We're all kind of freaky. Uh-huh. Well, none of us are black, but it doesn't mean we're weaky. Oh, excellent. That's that's uh, that's great, Dave. Uh, I'm ready for your number four. Oh, because I am not. Okay, Bobby Caldwell. Bobby? Oh, he's white. This is uh, another callback. Elton John. Oh, no, Elton. That just sounds black. No, David? The name Elton. Isn't that a black man's name? Let's talk about your number four or your forfeit. I will have a fit right now. Mm-hmm. My forfeit is this. Mm. My four pick. Yes. The band Fall Play. No, I don't like Fall Play. They're not even a black band. Dave. What? Number four. Oh, man. I got to pick again. Yes. There's too many to choose from. Number four. Number five was Ohio Players. Now, oh, let me just say this oh, as a side God. note. Oh, great. I'm not going to say Sly and the Family Stone. All right. Because half the family was white. Okay. And uh, we're not going to go James Brown All or right. Prince because they're solo artists. Prince of the Revolution had too many white people in it. I see. Uh... So don't tell me anything like that. I'm not saying I, anything I, to no you, No blues artists. I don't want a Johnny Guitar Watson, yes, but no, because he's more primarily a blues artist. It doesn't matter. It was music artist. It didn't, I didn't say funk. Oh, You've right got funk now. in your head. Hey, get the funk out of my head. That brings me to the next one. Uh-huh. The Gap Band. Oh. Oops, upside your head. Say oops, upside your head. Say oops, upside your head. Say oops upside your head, say oops upside your head. Say oops upside your head, say oops upside your head. Say oops upside your head, say oops upside your head. Say oops upside your head. Say oops upside your head. Radio station is WGAP. Say oops upside your head. Say oops upside your head. Now on all you gappers and you finger snappers, you toe tappers. And you love lapses. I want y'all to say this with me. Say it. band was an American R&B funk band that rose to fame during the 70s and 80s. The band consisted of three brothers, Charlie, Ronnie, and Robert Wilson, and it was named after Streets, Greenwood, Archer, and Pine in the historic 
Greenwood neighborhood in the brother's hometown of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah, now everybody who heard the Gap Panther wasn't hip. It was like they didn't know what that Gap was. But that's what Gap was. Did you know? I only knew because when we were looking at uh, places to rent in Pasadena, uh-huh. uh, the realtor who was uh, taking me around yeah. was from that neighborhood. And he said when he was growing up, his favorite band was the Gap Band because they were a local band. And he saw them. And he was a white guy. But he said he saw them a lot in the 70s. That's just the guy that showed us the houses in like San Marino or wherever that was called? Uh-huh. Oh, that's cool. He was very friendly. Very was nice very guy. very nice. Uh... But yeah, I didn't know that till then. Since the 90s, many of the Gap Band's hits have been sampled and or covered by R&B and hip-hop artists such as 2D Extreme, Brand Nubian, Tyler the Creator, 69 Boys, Ashanti, Big Mellow, Blackstreet, Mary J. Blige, Da Brat, Ice Cube, Jermaine Dupri, Mia X, Nas, Rob Bass, Shaquille O'Neal, Snoop Dogg, so for Soul for Real, Tina Turner, and Vesta. Oh, Ice Cube, man. True to the game. Oh, is that, uh, you guys did that song, right? Well, we did our own thing. I see. Which was based on a few different things. Gotcha. But see, the True to the Game was based on Outstanding. Outstanding is by the Gap Band. Ice Cube raps over Outstanding. And I think it's called True to the Game. Hey, yeah, you motherfucker. You know who I'm talking to. Yeah, you that motherfucker that betrayed your homeboys and you ain't shit. Yeah, you about to get your motherfucking ghetto pass revoked, motherfucker. Fuck ass Mark, bitch made. Punk ass trick in the basket. The nigga you love to hate with a new song. So what really goes on? Nothing but a come up. But ain't that a bitch? They hate to see a young nigga rich. But I refuse to switch even though. Cause I can't move to the snow. Cause soon as y'all get some dough. You wanna put a white bitch on your elbow. Moving out your neighbor. It says here, producer Heavy D sampled outstanding for every little thing. A 1995 hit single by his boy band Prodigy's Soul for Real. Well, check this out. The Gap Band Mm -hmm. started out loose and crazy, crazy raw funk. Mm -hmm. Then they got bitten by the nursery rhyme funk disease. Oh. And they started imitating P-Funk, as far as I can tell you. And then they got a slightly smooth and... Kind of smoothed it out a little bit. Became they did outstanding, and then even beyond that, they did drop a bomb on you. Yeah, 
that is about as inside as you can get, but it's still funky and raw. It's not some smooth shit. It's like yeah, funky raw. I don't mean smooth is bad, but I'm just saying there's a few different things that can happen with your music. They went that way. But yeah, you can hear an example of uh, the... I'm not saying we should play it, but I'm just saying the Gap Band, they, they, they have a few different phases to their band, to their music. But they started out like in 1970 or something. What did it say? They're like uh, right back then. The band received its first big break by being the backup band. There's a lot of B's in that sentence for fellow Oklahoman Leon Russell's Stop All That Jazz album wow, released in 1974. I didn't even realize that. Huh, that must be a funky album. Look, at, I, I bet you're going to go and listen to it right after this. That's interesting. Uh, early on, the group took on a funk sound reminiscent of the early 70s. This style failed to catch on, and their first two LPs, 1974's Magician's Holiday, which was recorded at Leon Russell's historic The Church Studio, and 1977's The Gap Band, not to be confused with their 1975s, not to be confused with their 1979 album, failed to chart or produce any charting singles. Uh. Afterwards, they were introduced to L.A. producer Lonnie Simmons, who signed them to his production company, and Total like, Experience Productions. Like, Have you guys heard P-Funk? And then they're like, oh, oh, this is what you want? Okay. On their first album with Simmons, The Gap Band, they found chart success with singles such as I'm In Love and Shake. The latter became a top 10 R&B hit in 1979. Yeah, they had already, uh, like, yeah, there it is. So their first thing was, their first style was where they were at, but it didn't catch on, so they had to change it up a little bit. They got smooth with the L.A. producer. Yep. Well, there you go. At least it happened, right? Oh, man, they're fucking great. They're three brothers. Unfortunately, they all, well, I don't know about all of them, but, like, there was a bit of a crack problem there. They oh, self-destructed with crack, but Charlie Wilson, I think, is the leader. He's, he's okay now, but yeah, he went through uh, homelessness. The guy, he was homeless. He was on all these talk shows talking about it. He was, uh, you know, on top of everything, and then everything went down, and he uh, became homeless at one point. That's sad. Yeah, but he uh, rebounded. I think he might have written a book about it or something. Charlie Wilson, very talented. You could do a whole podcast on these bands that are brothers of these these guys, funk bands. Robert Wilson has uh, since been deceased. How about Charlie Wilson? Charlie Wilson is alive. Yeah, he's the leader. All right, you're number four. The oh, Gap Band. There's all the, oddly enough, there's all these uh, funk bands that <sighs> uh, seem to wear cowboy outfits. I don't know what that's about. I mean, they would dress as cowboys. Sometimes people like to wear outfits, I guess. Shirtless cowboys with uh, bow ties or uh, neckties or scarves. <laughs> I don't know. I guess. Black guys with, with uh, cowboy hats and scarves Who and was, leather pants. Are you saying that this is something the Gap Band did? I think, I think I've seen them with leather pants and scarves and cowboy hats. I don't know what that is. I I don't know what it is either. It's just some sort of outfit, I guess. I mean, some sort of fun uh, outfit. That, that really is urban cowboy. I mean, it shouldn't have been John Travolta. It should have been... Charlie Adam Wilson. Charlie Revolta. Okay. You're number four, The Gap Band. Yeah. Oh, take note. Both these bands have a, have a, early, have a profound influence on West Coast 
rap. We've already went into that. Just take note. Okay, There's take a pattern note. here. Can you take note, please, people? Are you ready for my number four? Yes. My number four is Jimi Hendrix. Holy... N- <laughs> Jimi Hendrix was an American rock guitarist, singer, and songwriter. His mainstream career lasted only four years. I know. I'm going to give you out on this one. But he is widely regarded as one of the most influential guitarists in rock history and one of the most celebrated musicians of the 20th century. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame describes him as the greatest instrumentalist in the history of rock music. Go ahead now. Explain to me why my list is shitty. No, your list is not shitty. Uh-huh. But I would just like to... I, I'm not sure if you know what you've done here. I've All I've said is Jimi Hendrix. Oh, that's fine. I haven't said Jimi Hendrix and the experience. It's because it could be. I haven't be. said Jimi Hendrix and the Band of group. Gypsies. That's a black group. I just said Jimi Hendrix. Gyp- Band of Gypsies was a black group. Okay. So you must be talking about... Uh, the Fillmore East album, Band of Gypsies. What I'm talking about is Jimi Hendrix. The album was filmed on one of the first Porta Packs. Mm. I would agree with you. Jimi Hendrix, yes. All right. I'm giving you an out. I, anything else you want to say about Jimi Hendrix? Well, he played with some white boys. That's the only problem. Okay. Surrounding his ass with white boys. Top five black Music music artists. Oh, I thought it was groups. No, I said it several times. Top five black music artists. Oh, well, then I should have picked Jimi Hendrix. (laughs) You probably should have. How about Charlie Parker? Can you tell me why you have picked? You wouldn't. Okay. I was just, I thought we were doing uh, uh, ensembles that consisted of members that were black. Top now, five. Pete Funk, yeah, they had a white trumpet player. The only exclusion I'm going to give you is if your trumpet player is white. All right. So Mitch Mitchell played drums, uh-huh. and Noel Redden apparently played guitar, but maybe it was really Jimmy playing bass on most of that stuff anyway. Okay. But yeah, well, Jimmy, you know. What Hendrix, can you say what, about Jimmy? White white people go to, to white people go to Jimmy. Seattle to, to Jimi Hendrix's neighborhood, and then they end up getting mugged. Uh-huh. <laughs> Stupid motherfuckers. 
Hendrix was inspired by American rock and roll and electric blues. He favored overdriven amplifiers with high volume and gain and was instrumental in popularizing the previously undesirable sounds caused by guitar amplifier feedback. I would just like to know what the difference between high volume and gain are. He was also one of the first guitarists to make extensive use of tone-altering effects units in mainstream rock such as Fuzz Distortion, Octavia, Wawa, Octavia, and Univibe. 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 That that Univibe uh, emulates a Leslie speaker. Oh, okay. He was the first musician to use stereophonic phasing effects in recordings. Holly George Warren of Rolling Stone writes, Hendrick Hendrick pioneered the use of the instrument as as an electronic sound source. Players before him had experimented with feedback and distortion, but Hendrix turned those effects and others into a controlled, fluid vocabulary, every bit as personal as the blues with which he began. He was a blues alchemist. Ooh, that's a good one. Did you make that up? I just came to me. Okay, good. That is nice. I like that. Yes. So, uh, Jimi Hendrix, my number four. Well, you know, geez, Jimi Hendrix, what can you say about him that has nowhere to be said? I, I don't feel like I need to introduce people too much to Jimi Hendrix because I'm pretty sure our audience knows exactly who he is. When I was a kid, we used to celebrate Hendrix Day. That oh. was uh, September 18th. I don't know why we celebrated the day he died, but we did. Why not his birthday? I don't know. You were honoring him on right, his... Right, exactly. But we, you Death know, anniversary. Very we would, sweet. We would party on, on Hendrick's day. And can you tell me who you, these friends were? Was one no. of them Colin? No, I will not mention that. Was one of them Colin? Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Excellent. Uh, well, that, I think that's sweet, actually, that you guys... Uh, even if you're just partying and drinking or whatever, I'm sure you were listening to Jimi Hendrix, and that's, that's kind of cute. All right. You're number three, David. I am. Who's number one? I right, get that guy over here. Let's usurp him. Uh-huh. And then number two will just fall automatically. Number three on your list. Oh, jeez. Number three. Mm-hmm. Which way do I go? Which way do I go? Number three. There's so many bands. So far, you have the Ohio Players and the Gap Band. Your number... Well, let me just think to myself, what are you most likely not to do? What? I would hate to be redundant. Why? It's fine. All right. Uh, What here is the best way to go? I pretty much guarantee you have... Your your guesses will not be my two... All right. I got one for you. Yes? Peter Tosh. Really? Yeah. Everyone is crying 
How about them motherfucking apples? Peter Tosh. A.K.A. Macintosh. Was a Jamaican reggae musician along with Bob Marley and Bunny Whaler. He was one of the core members of the band, The Whalers, after which he established himself as a successful solo artist and a promoter of Rastafari. He was murdered in 1987 during a home invasion. Blood clot. What? That's what they would say if they were angry. What do you mean? Uh, the Rastas. They would say blood clot? Yeah, something about a blood clot. Wait, are you are you making shit up? <laughs> no. No, I don't think so. You might have to look into that. Blood clot. I... Anyway. So why is he your number three, David? Well, because... Peter Tosh. Mm-hmm. He's like a Jamaican rock star. Now... You might have seen Peter Tosh on SNL with Mick Jagger mm. doing Walk and Don't Look Back. Mm-hmm. But you might have also seen him with Bob Marley, who I can't pick because he's a half a whited man. Oh, I see. He's not a real black guy. I see. But, uh, well, his mom was black, but, you know. He's blackish. I think he might have been. She might have been. Uh, Mm-hmm. Me too into that relationship. Oh shit! Okay, well, I don't. Mm. Well, I don't know. That's rough. Bob Marley, I don't think ever even met his father. Oh, that's a sad story. But you picked Peter Tosh. Exactly. I'm <laughs> saying why I didn't pick Bob Marley. Well, there you go. Well, yeah. thanks for letting Peter us know. Tosh. Now mm-hmm. check this out. Mm-hmm. The man's got an album. It's an album called now. Is it Equal Rights? Is it a studio album? Yeah, is it called Equal Rights? It is called Equal yeah, Rights yeah. from 1977. Now, that is the quintessential Peter Tosh album, in my opinion. And it has Sly and Robbie on drums and bass. Well, actually, bass and drums. And they are the quintessential reggae rhythm section. And Peter Tosh, in my opinion, opinion is the ultimate lead reggae guy I see and I just like him more than Bob Marley because I feel like he's more of a poet he's more authentic he's more mystical he's more of a mystic and uh, and his music was more rocking and a little less you know like you know, I can't I can't hang with no woman no cry I see why is that I don't know man that shit just like boring and like some sort of like fairy tale nonsense uh-huh i don't know it's just like whatever and and also all that other acoustic shit that bob marley did and, and a bunch of him his albums are kind of weak too like kaya and you know it's all right but it's like all this like major reggae where he's all happy and it's just kind of like eh well, but maybe peter people tosh, like to feel happy <laughs> peter tosh cut to the shit man that uh-huh. dude was you know stepping razor
song step and raise it that in my opinion is like gangster rap equivalent in reggae it's just like it's got an attitude to it well it says here that was written by joe higgs i don't know who it is but the way peter tosh does it is happening it was is that a motown song Joseph Benjamin Higgs was a reggae musician from Jamaica in the late 50s and 60s. He was part yeah, of the yeah. duo of Higgs and Wilson. Oh, Higgs and Wilson, yes. You know them? No. Oh. He was a popular artist in Jamaica for four decades and is also known for work, his work tutoring younger musicians, including Bob Marley. Ah, so there you have it. Anyway, this album has uh, Step and Razor, and it also has... Uh, Equal rights, mm-hmm. you know, and equal rights is the anthem. Apartheid. Yeah, it, uh, this is a very good album. Okay. Have anything more to say about Peter Tosh? You have any uh, uh, insights to his? Uh... Well, I saw him a couple of times live. Oh. One time I saw him in a uh, high school gymnasium in Boston. And how did you get there? I was visiting my brother. Oh, okay. And somehow I got there. Uh, me and my friend were there, and we went to see him. And uh, it said no smoking all over the place, and everyone was afraid to smoke because all everyone smoked in those days. And uh, so no one was smoking any weed anywhere because no one was smoking cigarettes. If you could smoke cigarettes, you could always smoke weed. Right. But if there was no cigarettes, you couldn't hide the weed. It wasn't happening. Right. Anyway, so Peter Tosh came on stage in a uh, black robe with a big cane. Mm-hmm. And the first thing he did was whip, whipped out a huge spliff. Uh-huh. Huge, huge. And lit it up. And he's like, they say no smoking in here, man. And he's uh, something to that effect. He's like, but I'm going to smoke. And, and then they just, I was like, it was absurd. <laughs> He just kicked into the music, and once he lit up that joint, he had it going the whole time. And then, of course, everyone just lit up after him, and it was free for all, basically, in terms That's of smoking. Amazing. That's fun. But yeah, he had this. It was just like he had this like uh, preacher kind of like godly type vibe to him. He was really something on stage, anyway. Do you have any insights about his? Uh, I saw him at murder. The, well, I saw him at the pier also in New York City. That oh. was intense, off of Forty uh, Seventh Street on Twelfth Avenue. That was cool too. But the one in Boston was was better. The indoor shows are always a little more intimate, and more intense. Yeah. Because uh, it is what it is. But uh, yeah, when he died, I uh, was quite into him at the time, actually. So I was very upset. That was 1987, if I'm not mistaken, and I believe it was within a month of when Jocko died. Oh. So it was kind of like a one-two punch there, because I was really into both those guys at that time. That sucks. I believe that was maybe September and October. I could be wrong, of 87. September 11th, 1987. Just after Tosh had returned to his home in Jamaica, a three-man gang came to his house on motorcycles demanding money. Tosh replied that he did not have any with him, but the gang did not believe him. They stayed at his residence for several hours and tortured him in an attempt to extort money from him. 
Yeah, some fucking gangster old school shit. Over the hours, as various associates of Tosh arrived to visit him, they were also taken hostage by the gunman. The gunman became more and more frustrated, especially the chief thug, Dennis Lepo Lobin, a man whom Tosh had previously befriended and tried to help find work after a long jail sentence. Tosh said he did not have any money in the house, after which Lobin and the fellow gunman began opening fire in a reckless manner. Tosh was shot twice in the head and killed. Herbalist Wilton Doc Brown and disc jockey Jeff Free, Free Eye Dixon also died a result of wounds sustained during the robbery. Several others in the house were wounded, including Tosh's common-law wife, Andrea Marlene Brown, Free Eye's wife, Yvonne, and Tosh's drummer, Carlton Santa Davis, and music, musician Michael Robinson. Nightmare. Yeah. Uh, Lobin surrendered, and two other men were interrogated, but not publicly named. Yeah, I was listening to uh, Bob Grant on ABC in the car, actually. And then it went to the hourly uh, news, and they said that Peter Tosh had been killed. I remember that. Oh, boy. Yeah. I mean, it seems like this is just a... Uh, it's just terrible. What a terrible... It's just like Manson shit, right? Yeah, totally horrible. He fucking tried to help this dude, and the dude comes back and robs him. You know, you bring a moron thug to your house, and then yeah. and, and then he comes back and tries to rob you. That's the thanks you get. He was sentenced to death by hanging, but in 1995, his sentence was, his sentence was commuted, and he remains in jail. What a dick. The two other people uh, have never been identified or, or tried, I guess. Yeah. He had a... Peter Tosh had a pretty... Um, I would say he was pretty commercially successful for a reggae artist. He seemed like he was... He was successful, yet he still remained very true to his uh, his thing. Number three. Your number three was Peter Tosh. Yes, ma'am. Uh, my Stop number at a base. Okay. Sorry. Are you ready for my number three? Yeah. <laughs> You're a complete creep. <laughs> okay. My number three is Lionel Richie. Holy cow, see, I'm lucky I didn't do my number three, which was almost the Commodores. Baby, you There's only one love you're mine. I've got so much love and needing you so. So much love, all I 
Lionel Richie is an American singer, songwriter, composer, multi-instrumentalist, record producer, and actor. His recordings with the Commodores and his solo career made him one of the most successful balladeers of the 1980s. Over the course of his career, Richie has sold over 90 million records worldwide, making him one of the world's best-selling artists of all time. He won the Grammy Award for the Album of the Year for Can't Slow Down, and his other Grammy Awards include Producer of the Year, and in 1985, Best Male Pop Vocal Performance for Truly. How about Three Times a Lady? Uh, let's see, in 1982, he was nominated for, hold on a second. How about Easy Like a Sunday Morning? Richie has been nominated for two Golden Globe Awards and won one. In 1982, he was nominated for Best Original Song for the film Endless Love, which is a huge, huge hit. I don't know the film. In 1984, he won the Golden Globe Award for Best Original Song for Say You, Say Me. I do save you. Featured, you save me. What's that in, other song called? Featured in the film White Nights. The song also won the Academy White Award. White Nights, one of my favorite. Barishnikov. <laughs> the song also won the Academy Award for Best Original Song. Gregory Hines. And in 2016, he received the Songwriters Hall of Fame Highest Honor, the Johnny Mercer Award. Wait a minute. Johnny Mercer, that man worked with Duke Ellington. <laughs> All right, let's let's not. Uh, let's Let me ask you something. Okay. When was Siesta? Yeah, when's that one from? He didn't win a war for that. Oh no! Doesn't he sing with Dolly Parton or something? Hold on. Then he cross over to some country. Oh, that's what I was gonna tell you. Uh, Commodores, man, that band was smooth like a motherfucker. things going they had the crazy funk they had like three lead singers uh-huh. and then they had lionel richie underneath it all they got lionel fucking richie yep you got a superstar band the the drummer was a lead singer and then on top of that they got lionel richie commodores might have been one of the fucking most talented bands in the history of bands yep what the fuck dude check out the commodores 1977 78 one of those live performances it's fucking ridiculous not to mention 
I used to think Lionel Richie was the worst part of the Commodores because of his ballads. I was more into the funky stuff. You know, yes, you don't like the ballads. But Lionel Richie is one of the most talented song or singer-songwriters there ever was. Yep. That dude is ridiculous. I, yeah, you got to give it up to Lionel Richie. Amazingly talented. Absolutely, absolutely, and all he had. I remember as it was happening, where he there was like a he had a run of like nine or ten hits in a row, just from Commodores followed this formula too. They were raw and funky. They had a ballad side, but then something happened. I guess the industry, whatever the pressure, their management, whatever, they became smooth. They became became smooth, and then. They said, you know what? You're so smooth, you don't even need the band. Let's just push you. And Lionel Richie became real smooth. Like, Lionel Richie post-Commodores, I wouldn't even call that funk. But with the Commodores, it's totally funk. I mean, Brick House is funk, major league funk, which, which by the way, the lead singer on that song is the drummer. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they, they had the funk, raw funk, and then they got smooth. They never got into nursery rhyme funk, but if you watch them in 1977, which is after uh, Parliament Live on Casablanca Records came out in 77, mm-hmm. um, they do a whole mothership thing, a whole outer space spaceship thing, which is totally P-funk. We want full, full control of your ever-loving mind. At any moment now, one of you might just disappear. (laughs) We are not out to harm you, only to give a little love, love. Unless all this shit just happened at the same time. Fascination with outer space and all funk bands did space themes. I don't know. No, I doubt it. Yeah, so it seems like P-Funk influenced everybody in one way or another. And uh, so they were smooth. I mean, they were funky. Then they got smooth. And in the middle for a second, they also had a little P-Funk uh, mothership connection. It says here, their first several albums had a danceable, funky sound, as in such tracks as Machine Gun and Brick House. Over time, Richie wrote and sang more romantic, easy listening ballads, such as Easy, Three Times a Lady, Still, yeah. and the breakup ballad Sail On. 
Uh, by the late 70s, Richie had begun to accept songwriting commissions from other artists. Uh-oh. He composed Lady for Kenny Rogers, which hit number one in 1980, and produced Rogers' album Share Your Love the See, following year. I told year. you he got into the country music. Uh-huh. Uh, let's see here. It's... Oh, and uh, that's the other thing. There's an early Commodores. I think it's Sail On. Is it called Sail On? Uh-huh. That, that, sounds, that sounds like country music. That's not early Commodores. That, that's, a, that's a country song done by a black artist. Okay. It says in uh, 81, Richie sang the theme song for the film Endless Love, a duet with Diana Ross. Issued as a single, the song topped the Canada, Brazil, Australian, Japan, New Zealand, and U.S. pop markets, uh, U.S. pop music charts, and became one of Motown's biggest hits. Its success, that song, encouraged Richie to branch out into a full-fledged solo career in 82. Yeah, cocaine's a hell of a drug. I just feel like even if I didn't love all of his music, I sure as fuck can, uh, I, I liked enough of it where he is my number three, Lionel Richie, of our top five black music artists of all time. Uh, are, you, um, uh, are you ready for your number two, David? I feel like I really should pick uh, Sly Stone. But his band was not black fully. Uh huh. So I don't know where to go with that. I mean, he had a white chick on drums. Oh. Not really. Not really. I see. That's a little humor. Um, I will say that you have to pick your number two right now. All right. I'm going to give you a rare one. Oh. How about Cameo? And is this your true number two, or are you trying to be whatever? Wait. You're saying number two? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, well. You had the Ohio Players, the Gap Band, and then Peter Tosh. So are you saying that your number two above Peter Tosh would be Cameo? <laughs> no. I think that's just what you said. But I like Cameo. That's fine. Is it your number two? No. All right, then can you tell us what your number two is? Well. Uh-huh. You gotta go slice stone. I'm gonna give him a I'm gonna give him a pass. You're gonna give yourself a pass. Yeah. Okay. Sylvester, 
What's his real name? Sylvester Stewart. Exactly. Uh, is an American musician, songwriter, and record producer who is most famous for his role as frontman for Sly and the Family Stone, a band that played a critical role in the development of soul, funk, rock, and psychedelia in the 1960s and 70s. Yeah, 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 well, what can you say about Sly? I know we've talked about him uh, a lot we did a whole episode about funk, though we did not talk yeah. about nursery run, well, rhyme check funk, this out. as far as I can remember. Sly, come, Sly does not do nursery rhyme Thank funk. Thank God for Sly Sly Stone. got out of the industry before nursery rhyme funk took over. He was, it was a he smart He essentially move. became retired around 1976, which is when nursery rhyme funk took over. I see. Uh, he had a couple of little things after that, but they didn't really, they weren't, they were just whatever. But uh, Sly Stone mm-hmm. started out in the church with his family singing gospel. Then he went on and became a local famous radio DJ. And he was like the hippest thing in the Bay Area on the radio. Then he formed his own musical group and got back together with his family and some other folks. His family being uh, his sister, who played organ, I believe, and uh, his brother, Freddie, who was the guitar player. And then he forms this band, and they fucking kicked ass. And fucking, I mean, they were uh, uh, one of the... What can you say about them? They were like, they crossed over. They totally crossed over like Jimmy. Basically, Jimi Hendrix and Sly and the Family Stone were the two black bands that white people embraced. That's pretty much it. You had the Chambers Brothers, but no one gave a shit about that. What about James Brown? Yeah, but not really, because James Brown, white people, yeah, but white people got a little, like, pushed away from James Brown. Like, white people... When he got a little too political, yeah, white people, yeah, white people were into James Brown for a second, but then he got real political, and then he got like heavy duty funk, like black president political, Mm. and that got a little like anti-white, and uh, and his music was a little more like in the pocket. It wasn't so psychedelic, like Sly and the Family Stone was like. I don't know, man. That shit was like real, real hippie music. fit right in with the Grateful Dead, it fit right in with Hendrix, it fit right in with 
Santana, all that shit. It was just Sly was was the best of what was happening in the Bay Area in the mid '60s. And and he was a black artist, and he came from the church, but he also had white guys in his band, and his drummer was Greg Arico, who was a white dude and one of the best funk drummers ever, and Jerry Marini, the sax player. And he also had uh, that guy Rizzo, Paul Rizzo, I think his name is. He plays on that Four Sides album, uh, that Buzzy album. Oh, Oh, okay. Pat Rizzo. Pat Rizzo. That that later album. Mm -hmm. Pat Rizzo. So, yeah, anyway, so Sly and the Family Stone was like a real, like, crossover. It was very crossover in nature. It was like a black-white kind of, like, thing. And it was soul music heavily influenced by, like, this new kind of, like, awakening brought on by, like, the LSD and everything. Mm. So it's, man, his first album from 1966, I think it is, or is it 67? A whole new thing is going on is is revolutionary in itself. There's samples from that album that people don't even realize they've sampled. And then after that, the acid takes hold and it gets a little more revolutionary and completely psychedelic. And then he gets a little more funky with like dance to the music and I want to take you higher. And then it starts going downhill because he gets all drugged out and the black panthers and power movement gets infiltrated into the band and he starts getting crazy with the cocaine but in the midst of all that he puts out fresh in 1973 which is maybe the best one of the best albums ever in terms of a a funk album And then after Fresh, he has one or two more. Fresh is the end of it, though. In between Fresh and that other stuff is there's a riot going on. But that was like a reclusive kind of real drugged out period for him. Fresh, somehow he pops back. And even the album cover of Fresh is like just insane. And then uh, and that was it. After that, it's kind of over. You're number two. Sly and the Family Stone. That dude had so much power and so much potential, and then it just all went down the drain. And the crazy thing is, he's still alive. Yep. He's still alive. It's like, you know, it's not like James Brown or Jimi Hendrix. He's actually still alive. Your number two, uh, Sly Stone. My number two. 
Yes. Is Parliament Funkadelic? Hey now, I knew one of us would pick it. to go all funk i do love funk i don't love it as much as you i could have picked them as the number one because like i said they seem to have influenced everyone everyone yes i i i, I agree but anyway i have picked parliament funkadelic uh let me quickly read p-funk is an american funk music collective of rotating musicians headed by george clinton primarily consisting of individual bands parliament and funkadelic both active since the 60s. Their distinctive funk style drew on psychedelic culture, outlandish fashion, science fiction, and surreal humor. It would have an influential effect on subsequent funk, post-funk, hip-hop, and post-disco artists of the 80s and 90s, while their collective mythology would help pioneer Afrofuturism. Yeah. Basically, uh... George Clinton is the mastermind behind all of that. Mm-hmm. You know, he might not be the musical mastermind behind all of it all the time, but it all formed around him. He inspires some. Yeah. He was the ringleader. You know, he also kept most of the profits, apparently, and, you know, pissed a lot of people off and did a lot of group drugs, as far as we've been told. But... It really wouldn't. He he is the king of that, and they are so influential. I, I don't think there's not really a bigger force in in black music than than P funk, although they probably have not generated as much money as say like Michael Jackson or Ray Charles even or uh, you know we could pick Ray Charles obviously as one of these artists. So, but there's so many like I said. But yeah, P-Funk, P-Funk heavily influenced by Sly and the Family Stone, even though they started before Sly and the Family Stone. They started as a uh, barbershop. Acapella type, not yeah. acapella, I'm sorry. Uh, doo-wop. Yeah, um, um, George Clinton was a barber. Ah, I see. They owned a barber. He was a barber in, uh, what's the town? Right outside of Newark. Um, P, what starts with a P. Plainfield? Exactly, thank you. They, uh, they're from Plainfield, New Jersey. They don't fuck around. Yeah, I mean, I think it was called Parliament back then, and uh, that was 1955. Yeah, they were the Parliaments. Yep. We've played, we played original Parliament music on our funk episode. I'm going to have to link the funk episode That's in cool. these show notes because it's a real fun episode. They're, uh, they're yeah, absurd. And then, of course, you know, Basically, you take uh, that old school soul that they were into, 
and then you give it a little dose of uh, James Brown, and then you give it a dose of that San Francisco uh, psychedelic rock and cream, and then you have uh, what became P-Funk. I think there's some some interview where they said that they opened for Cream, and they were like, "Damn, these guys—they were wearing suits and had small amplifiers, and like these guys are wearing crazy like thrift show thrift store clothing, all crazy flashy weird mix mix max matched clothing, and they had huge amplifiers, and they're like we got to do that. So they literally changed their style after being influenced by the bands they were open for, opening for in the rock scene." And then they got all into their psychedelic stuff. Before that, they were all straight and square. Just like Miles Davis was influenced by uh, Sly and Hendrix fashion, in a fashion sense. Mm. You check out Miles before the psychedelic thing, he's wearing a suit. Afterwards, he looks like he's Jimi Hendrix. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, night and day. Jazz musicians always dress to the top of the, you know, dress to the nines or whatever they call it. They fucking dressed. Sharp dressed. Man. Yeah. And then rock music and all this shit happened. See, Bill Graham had Miles Davis opening for rock bands. So Miles witnessed this firsthand and it influenced him. He was like, God damn, these audiences like that shit? I'm going to play like that and dress like that. And he changed his music to be more like Sly and Hendrix. And he started dressing like it. Yep. My number two, Parliament Funkadelic. Yeah, you don't get much bigger than that. Nope. Uh, now, you're number one, Dave. I thank you so much. <laughs> now, nah, I appreciate that coming uh -huh. from you. Coming from me. Uh, your number one pick for the best black musician of all time. Uh, Carlton. Oh, no. your doorman. Carl, this is Carlton. May I help you? That's not how Carlton, your doorman, spoke. This is Carlton, your doorman. This is Carlton, your doorman. No, he was like a stoner. Yeah. He was a sixteen-year-old stoner chick. That's me. Oh. Okay, so uh. Go ahead. Your number one choice, Dave. Uh, uh, number one? Mm, let's go. Well, I mean, you kind of just picked it, didn't you? Oh, was your, your number one was uh, George Clinton and P-Funk? Well, I don't know. That's man. fine. You can take that. You picked all my favorites, man, except well, for good. Sly. I'm glad that the, it seems like you've yeah. influenced me just a bit. I didn't go, realize those were your favorites. How about though. we go obscure on you? No, your number oh. one pick, Dave. I know a little band out of South Africa. That's not called Little John and the Big Johns. Okay, you know what a Big John is, don't uh -huh. you? No, no, I don't. Dave, is your number one pick P Funk? Uh, well, the show would be over then, wouldn't it? No, because I still have my number one pick, but thank you. Thank yeah. you for the show's over. remembering that I'm actually part of this show. Goodbye. Oh, my God. number one pick is uh, P-Funk. So this is what we're going to do. Oh, yes? We're going to go gonna, to my number one? Yeah, we got your number one, but let me just give a, a uh, side nod uh -huh. to two bands of brothers. Okay. 
So all of a sudden now, my number one is being pushed aside for your you gotta, side bands. You got to give it up to the Isley Brothers. Uh-huh. Fight the power. Okay. And Brothers Johnson. Uh-huh. Who played on all the Michael Jackson stuff. Excellent. Get the funk out of my face. Okay, what's your number one? My number one. Oh, come on, man. Is what? Why did you say that? Jerry Garcia was not a black man. My number one pick for favorite music. My number one. Fuck me. The number one pick. My number one pick for top five favorite black musicians is the Jackson Five. Oh, man. Come on. Jackson 5, later known as The Jacksons, were an American pop band composed of members of the Jackson family. The group was founded in 1965 in Gary, Indiana, by brothers Jackie, Tito, and Jermaine, with younger brothers Marlon and Michael joining soon after. Marlon and Michael in the morning. The Jackson 5 performed in talent shows and clubs on the Chitlin Circuit and then signed with I Steel Town me some Chitlin Circuit. Records in 1967 and released two singles. In 1968, they left Steel Town, Steel Town Records and signed on with Motown, where they were the first group to debut with four consecutive number one hits on the Billboard Hot 100s. I want you back. ABC, The Love You Save, and I'll Be There. Yeah. The, the, what comes to mind is, what's that What's that writing team out of PA? Bell, Bell and Hoff? What is it? I have no idea what you're Bell, saying. What is, it, what is it, a camera? What? Uh, I don't know what you're doing. The, the people who wrote oh. ABC. They had some hits on their own later, but they're a, a songwriting team out of out of PA. This is where Daryl uh, Hall gets his origins from, the Philly Sound. You wouldn't have thought that Michael Jackson was part of the Philly Sound. It says here the songwriters Hall. were the Corporation: Barry Gordy, Freddie Perrin, Alfonso Mizell, and Deke Richards. Oh man, what am I talking about? I don't know. Corporation. Mm-hmm. Uh, who, who, uh, I want you back. 
I Want You Back is, uh, hold on, please. I Want You Back was written by the corporation. Oh, man. Can you look up one more thing for me? Sure. Who wrote One Bad Apple? One Bad Apple by the Osmonds? Yeah. Was written by George Jackson. Solidarity Brother? What are you talking about? Wasn't he the uh, black guy who was killed in Oakland? Okay, what does it say? <laughs> I, you know what, Dave? <laughs> this is my number one pick, what is Jackson it? 5. The I, reason I'm saying Jackson 5 is, does it say that One Bad Apple was supposed to be for the Jackson 5, but they turned it down? The song was written by George Jackson, who originally had the Jackson 5 in mind when he wrote it. According to Donny Osmond, Michael Jackson later told him the Jackson 5 almost recorded this song, but chose to record ABC instead. Yeah, we almost recorded that, but it sucked. Okay. I'm not sure that's exactly how he said it, but whatever. Oh, you want to record that song? Oh. Yeah, that one sucked. Okay, that's that's not quite uh, what happened. Uh, one I, bad apple to me always. I thought it was the Jackson 5. That's mm-hmm. why I brought it up. I see. Anyway, Jackson 5. Well, let me tell you something. Mm-hmm. Where, at what point did the Jackson 5 just become the Jacksons? Uh, oh, sorry, Miss Jackson. I am for real. The uh, 1976, I guess. Okay, then. Well, let me ask you when something. When they switched to CBS, maybe? Well, when is Dance Machine from? Dancing Machine. Is that Jackson 5? Is a song recorded by American R&B outfit, The Jackson 5. That's my favorite Jackson 5 song. And was the title track of their ninth studio album. The song was originally recorded for the group's 1973 album, Get It Together, and was re-released as a remix. Yeah, I like that. I also like Ease On Down the Road. From The Wiz? <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm going to say that they have a shit ton of hits. Who are you like, Ben? I love Ben. Ben. <laughs> Fuck you. I love Ben. I didn't say it was I bad. hate you. I didn't say it was bad. I, th- Dave, who, I can tell by your tone. Who wrote Ben? The corporation? <laughs> Mike, Michael Jackson should have been like called, if it wasn't for the corporation, I wouldn't be me. know why he didn't record one bad Can apple? Can you just hold on one Because it wasn't written second. by the corporation. Ben, the song was written by Don Black and Walter Scharf and was produced by the corporation. Oh my God, they got their hands deep within this kid's afro. 
Now, let me ask you something. Mm-hmm. Was Ben, did it have something to do with the movie uh, about rats? It did, but here's a little twist, uh, plot twist for you. Willard. Originally written for Donny Osmond. <laughs> oh, shiznat. <laughs> what, see? This is the, oh, now this is what was happening. It was written, now, okay. As as they did with uh, Little Richard and Pat Boone, uh-huh. they were trying to do with Michael Jackson and Donny Osmond. They I were like, see. They were like, now this Michael Jackson talented. But motherfucker's black, and uh, we trying to market him to white girls, so we don't want to have people being hung in the South. We need a white kid to sound like Michael Jackson, so that they can have him and we can have him. I, you know what though, I have to kind of go back to something you said about Sly and the Family Stone about being, you know, uh, one of the few bands that were. No, that's that's white okay. People. That's okay for over eighteen. I'm going to say that the the Jackson Five were loved. By everybody, they were loved, but they weren't. They wanted to make. They wanted to take it to the next degree with Donnie. I don't think they were taking it to the next degree with Donnie. I think they were just trying to see if they could make even more money. I don't think. uh, Listen, the Jacksons had their own cartoon. There were uh, people of all colors loved the Jackson Five. I'm telling you, they were trying to get Donnie Osmond to. To make money off of the Jackson Five. Well, no, th- no, I agree that they were probably trying to double their income because it's capitalism and that's how it works. But I don't think that they were saying, "Oh, well, let's get uh, Donnie to sing this one because white people don't like the version by Michael Jackson." I think that's bullshit. Well, I'm going to call that, you fucking out on it. How, that's how it was, baby. Not for the Jacksons. That's how it was. Dave, the Jacksons were huge from the get-go. They were huge. They were huge, but they weren't as huge as ABBA. Okay, I guess I. Okay, I don't even know what to say to that. <laughs> I don't even know how to respond to something when like that. When people say from ABBA to Zappa, they don't mention the Jacksons. Because if they were A or Z, perhaps oh, they would. Maybe that's true. Okay, I just thought ABBA was so important. <laughs> In my book, Abba and Zabba are the most important. Okay. Well, your book is... Because my book spells out the worst and the best. I see. Well, uh, you know what? From Abba to Zappa is not just alphabetical. It's also stylistic. When we do our uh, European music uh, song contest, I'm going to call called. that podcast European All Over Me. The big... <sighs> I just can't like you sometimes. I just can't bring myself to like you. <laughs> My number one was the Jackson Five. Oh, and despite man. what Dave has to say about uh, the corporation and the Osmonds, I am here to remind you that I was the perfect age for the Jacksons, uh, for some of their stuff anyway, way back when. And at no point did I say, geez, I, I wish a white kid sang this. Let me tell you something. I did not. My favorite part about the Jackson Uh 5 was their Saturday or Sunday morning cartoon. I've already discussed their cartoon. That was the best part. It wasn't the best part of the Jackson 5, but it was just uh, something that showed you how incredibly popular they were you did not get a cartoon if you were not popular they were it was just more shit they wanted to sell okay. i'm sure there might even have been a jackson five cereal for all, all right I know. well i recant my statement on donny osmond there's a, a harlem globetrotter cartoon oh no, that was racist why i don't know there's a not har- everything harlem. is racist no you mentioned the word harlem i'm just really angry with you right now if it's if it's a globetrotter that's one thing 
But why do you mention Harlem? The Jackson 5 have sold more than 100 million records worldwide, making them one of the best-selling bands of all time. In 1980, the brothers were honored with a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame as the Jacksons. They were inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1997 and the Vocal Group Hall of Fame in 1999. Two of the band's recordings, ABC and I Want You Back, are among the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's 500 songs that shaped rock and roll. And alongside I'll Be There, we're also inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame. All right. I also want to say, because we're talking about funk and stuff, uh, we, uh, Bruce Keynes has a great show uh, online um, for Funk's Sake. And if you go to MixCloud.com and look for For Funk's Sake, you can find all of the past uh, episodes of the show. And uh, they're great. And he's got a great radio voice, I would say. He's like very old school uh, radio voice. Yeah. Like FM, not, not like, you know, Ron Lundy. But old school, uh, what, maybe West Coast FM style. Scott Muni. No, not that. <laughs> All right. Scott Muni coming at you. This is the end of episode 68 and perhaps our marriage. Uh, Whoa. So it's, oh, I'm sorry. It's been great, and we will see you. Take my wife for prayers. We will see you perhaps next time, America. Goodbye. Okay, take care. Mm-hmm.